Today, really pleased to have Brad Sugars, um, the world's best business coach, the world's number one business coach, um, author, speaker, owner of the world's number one business coaching firm with us on the call today. So thanks for joining us, Brad. Um, Brad's a successful entrepreneur, family man, and author of 16 books now, um, number four international bestsellers. So Brad's got hopefully a wealth of knowledge he's going to share with us on today's call um, and, and help us as business owners in the UK grow. Dang, buddy, I got to live up to all of that now. Okay, let's get down to it. Let's help people make some more money in their business or work some less hours or something like that. For sure. So obviously through your journey and the experience you've had running your own businesses and working with business owners um, for kind of decades now, really, what do you think the mindset changes a business owner needs to focus on as they go from kind of that first million to the multi-million pound level? Dang, that's a big question. Um, look, getting to the first million is obviously the hardest because you don't know what you're doing. Once you've got to the million, getting to the first 10 million is the next hardest because you don't, you've never done it before. So oftentimes, and it's interesting, speaking with a young gentleman who in a construction business, he got to his million pound a year in the construction business, and literally the guy is stressed, he's working 16-hour days, he's doing all that stuff. So I think the first thing you have to realise is that to go from a million to 10 million or, or above, first and foremost, is that it's, it's got to be about more than you. You know, it, you can get to a million off your own back, doing your own work, working your backside off, but you can't get to 10. You know, so you've got to go from you doing a lot of the stuff to you now getting a lot of other people to do it all. Um, and I think that that is the first mindset of, uh, if I can be bluntly, if I can put it blunt, uh, it's, it's about letting go. You know, it's about losing the mindset of, oh, if it has to be done, you've got to do it yourself. If you want the job done right, you've got to do it. You know, no one can do it as good as me. Um, all of those things of a solo entrepreneur have to disappear. And what, what one of those obviously key points you spoke about there, which ones would you say kind of come first? What's the first step a business owner needs to take on? So many of the business owners we work with here in the UK are kind of, they're at the million pound level looking to now scale to that two, three, five, ten 10 level. What's the kind of first step they need to take to really make sure they get that delegation and letting go mindset in place? I'll call you, of course, Steve. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh look. Look, I think the first step's going to be different for every person, but ultimately it's a decision to set a goal to be at that 10 million or above or to be at the 5 million or above. You know, it's the first thing in anything is setting a goal. You know, the formula is dream, goal, learn, plan, act. Um, and it's, it's a simple formula. But when you set the goal in play, then it starts to trickle down and say, okay, now what have I got to learn to make that goal a reality? Because, you know, simple things like business planning, to get to, you don't really need to be good at business plan to get to a million, but you do to get to 10. You don't really need to be good at systemization to get to a million, but you do to 10. You don't really need to be good at management, recruiting, leadership, but you do to 10. In, in, I, I, do you remember, Steve, I, when I wrote the book Billionaire in Training, there's a ladder in there. Yeah. And you can get to a million as a self-employed person, but you've got to get to that manager level where it's now not about you doing the work. See, I mean, it, it, the simplest way to put this is you can't be on the tools to go to 10 million. You can be on the tools to get to a million. And by on the tools, 
that could mean you're a hairdresser cutting hair or, or, or an accountant doing the accounting work for your clients or, or even a business coach doing the business coaching, Steve, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I, I watch you and Gary, but I watch you and Gary, you guys are going through the same challenges every other business owner goes through. You just know the steps that, that, that they don't. And you also have a coach that some don't, but I, I watch it in businesses where that, that understanding the difference between being self-employed and running a business that does the job of the business. You know, you can be a phenomenal, I'll just stay with hairdressing because it's, everyone understands what it is. Well, yeah, for sure. you know, you can be a brilliant hairdresser. That doesn't mean you have any clue how to run a hairdressing business. It doesn't mean you know sales, marketing, management, recruiting, leadership, planning, financial cost analysis, etc. you know, and, and, Look, business will never get easier. You've got to get better at business. That probably is the simplest way to put it. So, yeah, set the goal to begin with. Make the decision as to where you're going to. And then uh, it's, it's about, you know, you've got to put the plan in place and do the learning to make it happen. Or do the learning and then put the plan in place because with new learning, you can write a much better plan than someone could beforehand. And I guess that, that links really well with kind of the next question, which is around, you know, the identity that someone needs to create now as that multi-million pound business owner, mm-hmm. rather than yep. million pound business owner that you know quite often will hear they still enjoy being on the tools. They still enjoy having a little bit to do with delivery and managing at that kind of micro. Yeah, level. but it, let me let me deal with that one first. They don't actually enjoy being on the tools. They just say that because they're scared to let go of it and they allow anyone else to do it. It was like I had a bloke say to me the other day because I, I was coaching someone about wealth and they said. You know, I said, what do you, what work do you do that is a waste of your time? Like, do you mow your lawn? Do you do any cleaning? Do you do any of that sort of stuff? He said, oh, I love mowing the lawn. I said, it's because you don't own a yacht. If you owned a yacht, you wouldn't want to mow the lawn. Yeah. You know, and, and, but the point of it is that, um, yeah, they enjoy being on the tools to a degree because they don't know what the next thing is. And I got to tell you, Steve, the change is scary. They're having to learn the next phase. The learning work of a business owner is the hardest work a business owner has to do. They're learning the next level, learning the next phase, learning that next uh, level of management systems and then the leadership systems. And and I use the word system, Steve, because where most business owners don't really understand, there is a system for growing a business. Like if you're a chef, you have a system for cooking things, right? Um, If you're a hairdresser, you have a system for cutting hair. If you're an architect, you have a system for designing a building. What we have at Action Coach is a system for growing a business. And, and, you know, I didn't write the book, The Business Coach, that outlines that system until we had coached more than 13,000 companies to success. And, you know, a lot of people, they, the reason they're struggling in business is they don't even realise there's a system for growing a business. They don't even see that that's the case. So, you know, if you don't even know there's a system for it, Dad, you're going to work real hard. <laughs> so how, do, how does that then link to the identity shift then that they need to make as to kind of that next level? You talk about the ladder and billionaire in training. So yeah. come up that ladder. What's the identity shifts they need to start to make as they go well, through that journey? Yeah, I'll give you a simple example. I worked with a medical doctor at one point in time and coaching him to grow his medical practice. Now, interestingly enough, he had an amazing identity as a doctor. And for 20 plus years, if he went to a party and got introduced to people, people said, who, you know, what do you do? He said, I'm a doctor. The business didn't start growing until he realized he was a business person first and a doctor second. 
So oftentimes the shift has to be from I'm a hairdresser to I'm the owner of a hairdressing business. So that's one of the shifts that I first try and help people make to realize that you're, you're not the job of the business, you're the owner of a business that does that product or that service type thing. So I think that's where we first have to start. I mean, simple little things, Steve. When you're self-employed, you usually take drawings out of the company. To go to the next level, you've got to start drawing a wage and taking profits. You know, it's not take money when there's money there. It's pay yourself a wage that you would pay anyone else to do that job and then take profits at the end of it. And, you know, just even simple shifts like that, getting people off of drawing a wage from their own business, off of just taking drawings or money when they need it to a fixed salary and then profits at the end of the quarter. They're like, they look at me strange. It's like, no, no, we're going to become a business owner here. We're not, we're not trying to just, you know, we want, I guess back to the, to the first thing, Steve, and maybe if we start with this understanding for people, the definition of a business is in our, in our terms, a commercial profitable enterprise that works without you. If you have to be there, it's not a business, it's a job and you work for a crazy person. Um, the challenge for most business, uh, yeah, I know that's it's people that get that sink in. Um, the challenge for most business owners is they are the CEO and they are the the uh, owner of the business. Now, if you're the GM and the owner or the MD and the and the owner, you you're bad at both of those things. You are not a good owner and you're not a good MD because you like you have a meeting with yourself. Here's the owners' meeting. It goes like this: How did you go today? Oh, boss, I did amazingly. Well, well, congratulations, good job. I mean, they both lie to each other. The owner and the CEO are in this in this trap called, you know, see, this is why, um, like all the companies I own, and currently we're at sixteen companies we own. We just bought another one last week, and I'm the I'm not the CEO. I'm the chairman of the company. I'm on the board. I, I am. If my CEO doesn't deliver me growth and profits, they're out of there. And, and the same, and this is why a lot of the reasons why, Steve, why coaching works too, it's important to understand that the coach is kind of like, see, in big business, they have a board of directors and shareholders to demand growth. Why coaching works, or one of the reasons coaching works is because you've got an outsider demanding you grow the business. And, you know, the challenge for a lot of people at a million a year, Steve, is that I won't say they're fat and happy, but... They're doing good. I mean, holy heck, they're making a couple of hundred a year probably in net or at least a hundred in net profit and they're sitting back and going, I don't really need to grow this thing. And I think that's the... the that's a lot of the times why if you want to go... Yeah, if you want to go from good to great, you, you often need that outside influence to push you harder. Yeah, and I think it's that, that point on kind of the people you've said it before and some of the seminars I've been at with you, which is kind of it's the people you hang around with, the people that stretch you, the kind of people that help you shift that identity along the way, which actually helps as well, which was a big learning I kind of took from you over the years from the seminars. Yeah, it's one of those interesting ones. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. If, <laughs> if, you're, at a, if you're at a networking function for business people and yours is the biggest business, you need to leave that networking function and find a different one. You know, go and hang out with people who are running hundred million pound a year businesses or 20 million pound a year. Then you're the small fry in the room. Guess what? You're going to learn a lot in that room. (laughs) I'm fast. I think that kind of, you mentioned there about being the chairman rather than the CEO. And it's, how does that work for a business owner then is they go on that multi-million pound journey. What do they need to change around mindset with, team who they employ 
and actually what they look for in those individuals. Yeah, look, you've got to get much better at recruiting to build a large business. I mean, the job of a CEO or the job of an owner of a business is really recruiting. Um, you know, build a great team, they build a great business. You, you hire good and train great uh, or mentor great. Um, look, as you grow, uh, I think, uh, who was it? Um, Henry Ford probably put it best when he said, the smartest business person is the one who hires people smarter than themselves yes. or something along those lines. And uh, for me, I'm always, see, you've got to grow as the owner too. You've got to become a good manager, a good leader, so you can coach and train others to be good managers and good leaders. But eventually what you've got to be looking for is the person you can groom to take over from you so you can step back. See, what people may or may not see, Steve, is what you do as a coach, like see you as a coach with your clients, you are really the chairman of the board of their business. You run their business in one hour a week. In one hour a week, you run their business. True or not? I mean, this is what happens. And that's what I do with mine. Now, most of the companies I own, I run in one hour a month um, because my CEOs have been trained and and learned over the years. So I don't need to be on the phone with them every week. When I get a new company, I'm on the phone with them every week. But, uh, you know, the the, the ones that I've owned for years, I I don't talk to those CEOs bar once once a month and then once a quarter for their quarterly planning, going over there, reviewing their plan and review the quarter and go over the plan. But that only takes me two hours on a quarter to, to go over with them and look at that stuff. So if they start to think of it as, okay, how do I get this to work without me? Then the caliber of person you need is going to change. If, if it's just you, if you can always be there, you don't need a high caliber of person. So when you talk about those people that you have in your businesses as as CEOs, is there there traits you look for? Is there real specifics you look for in those individuals? Do you remember remember our flip chart above and below the point? Okay, so what I'm looking for, right, is first of all, good management gets them above the point because the three things, for those who don't know, below the point, if you you check online, there's a bunch of videos of me teaching this, or Steve, you could maybe give a, a, a link to one. Perfect. Below the point, there's blame, excuse, and denial. Those behaviours of blame, excuse, making, and denial come because of a lack of management or bad management. Now, good management will get them to above that point, and which is where they say, okay, now we're responsible. Because above the point is ownership, accountable, and responsible, okay? So what we do is we say, okay, here we are at uh, responsible. We've got good management. Now we need good leadership to get them to accountability. And what I look for, Steve, is someone who doesn't get pushed into accountability but asks for accountability. They want to be the profit master. They want to be uh, measured every day. They want to be that type of thing. But then you've got to also look at their leadership characteristics and all of that because management is one phase. For them to step up and be CEO, there has to be a leadership role. And when you look at those team members then, or look at any team members as they, as they come you know, through the business. One of the areas that I know we coach and I work with a lot of my clients on is the kind of you know, high, slow, fire, fast philosophy. It's like if they don't fit, then we've got to deal with that as a business owner. But I know there's definitely some mindset challenges out there around that. What's your, what's your thoughts? And how, do we, how, how does a business owner, do you get over that? You know, if they don't fit, it's better to take that decision faster rather than actually allow them to become almost toxic in the organization. Look, I, I think that, first of all, um, 
if you get better at recruiting, you realize that there's no scarcity of people out there. If you get proactive at recruiting, because the reason oftentimes people keep the bad hire is, well, there's two real reasons behind it. One is I don't want to, I don't want to admit I made a mistake. So therefore I'll just keep them on and hopefully eventually they'll just quit. So therefore I won't have to admit that I made a mistake in hiring that person. So yeah, get over yourself. Um, the second one is that people think, geez, it's, it's just easier to keep them than it is to actually do it. But here's, here's the problem with that. When you keep someone that is an underperformer, when you keep someone that is a toxic or a cancer in the organization, what it's showing the rest of your team, how they feel about what's going on is, well, hang on. If they're allowed to get away with that, then why the heck am I not allowed to get away with this stuff? Why should I work hard if, if you know, the performance standard that's required is awful? Um, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not about keeping the person. It's about what keeping that person does to the rest of the team or says to the rest of the team about your management and your style. And that, that big impact it has on the culture and then actually how that becomes part of the culture of a business once it's accepted once and continues. Yep. I think it's interesting. And I think for me, it comes back to kind of the mindset element of going to that multi-million pound level. I think to kind of ask you, you probably a question about more your journey or, you know, as business owners that you see, what are the kind of rituals that you make sure you have in place as a, as a business owner, you know, especially as you grow through the, the wealth ladder and you get, you know, the biggest person in the networking room and then the biggest person again, and you, you really go on that learning journey and you build wealth mm. as you go through that. What's the kind of rituals and the, the habits you've got to create around that? Oh, buddy, that's such a massive question. Um, Look, let me take it two different ways, actually three different ways. First, the rituals in business. You know, the basic rituals of every day, everybody must complete their plan for the following day. You know, every, every day they text in to their boss a photo of their handwritten list of what they're doing and achieving the next day. To-do list and goals to be achieved list tomorrow. Um, that, that in and of itself is a very important part. Uh, the second thing that, uh, and then, you know, your weekly list on a Friday and your Monday morning meetings, your one-to-one -one sessions with your senior, with your direct reports, all of that basic management rituals that, that need to be abided by because with consistency of management comes consistency of performance. Inconsistent management leads to inconsistent performance or, or reactive management leads to inconsistent performance. It's got to be proactive. The second way I'll tackle that is by looking at uh, personal uh, rituals that need to be in place when you're moving up that ladder. Um, learning is a daily ritual. You know, it's got to be done every single day. If you do a day without learning, it's like doing a day without exercise. Um, the brain can't function as well if it doesn't take in new knowledge. The body can't function as well if it doesn't do something to get the oxygen levels pumping through it. So. If you want your brain at ideal levels, you've got to exercise each day. And I don't care if it's meditation, going for a walk, whatever it is. You've got to do something physical every day. Um, and then obviously you've got to feed your body and brain. I mean, it's feed body, feed brain. I mean, that's really the rituals for that. And then feed the soul, you know, be it by being with family or listening to music or, or doing something, feed the soul. So that's sort of the personal side of it. And, you know, that, that can be done in many different ways for many different people. But, you know, even a real simple one, Steve, do you get through two litres of water a day? 
you know. And, and you know, I, I'm an Australian, so I love to have a beer of an afternoon, but it's a very simple rule in our house. If you haven't done your two litres of water, you ain't getting a, you ain't getting a cocktail. So, you know, but, but simple things. Then when it comes to wealth, look, the habits of wealth, and, and uh, I, I mean, I could spend the whole session with you just on wealth, uh, I've just written a book called The Wealth Coach, actually, which looks at the habits and the rituals of wealth and then the strategies behind that. But if I look at wealth, you know, the habits of wealth are more important than the amount. So, like, going to the bank and investing five quid a week is more important. By doing that every week is more important than doing 500 quid once a, once a blue moon or if you get rich type thing. Yeah. Um, you know, learning the habits of wealth is and, and abiding by them is probably one of the most important attributes of wealth. And it, it's, it's, you know, my kids do it. I have four kids now, another one on the way, and all of them since age two go to the bank every Thursday to deposit their pocket money. They know that they're investing every week. They deposit 50% of their pocket money every single week. And that's, that's not a hard thing. It is what it is. So to create that habit so then when wealth's built, it's already a habit to, to make that saving, the deposit, and, and build more and more upon that? Mm. Look, if you, if you can't handle money when you've got a small amount of money, you don't ever expect a big amount of money. Um, if you're not respectful with money, if you don't tithe and invest with a small amount, then there's no way the world is going to trust you with a large amount of money. I mean, it, Money, I, I, one of my greatest teachers was a gentleman back in the 70s by the name of Reverend Ike, Dr. Frederick Ike Garencotter on the subject of money. And Reverend Ike used to say a simple thing. He had a lot of funny sayings, but uh, he, taught, he was based in Harlem in New York. And uh, one of the sayings that he said, he says, money is like a lady. You know, treat it well, it'll stay with you forever. And if you treat it badly, it'll leave you in an instant. And, you know, I get that there's a sexist nature to the old reverend back in the day, but the point behind it is that how you treat money determines how money treats you. Show it respect, do what it deserves. If you're just wasteful with money, then money won't be good for you because you're not good with money. I think, you know, there's some phenomenal learnings in that, that 20 minutes or so that, that, that we've done there. So thanks for sharing that with us, Brad. I think my last question really for you it's probably one you get asked regularly, I'd imagine. If, if you could share your wealth of knowledge now and sum it up into the one or two things that you think have really helped you get to where you are today. You know, I, I haven't spent a lot of time in your seminars. I could probably take a guess at one, but is, let's see if I'm right. But it's like, what are the one or two things you'd advise to any business owner at any about being successful? There's a reason you left this question off the list of questions I was going to be asked, isn't there? Um, <laughs> listen, uh, first thing is that the reason I'm successful is I keep learning and growing. Um, the day you stop learning and growing is the day you have to stop expecting more success. Um, yeah, that, that one's pretty simple. Uh, the second would be... Uh, if, I, if I could do one thing differently, I would have gone bigger faster. Okay. Yeah. Uh, too many business owners, they, they let fear get in the way of going massive. Um, you know, doubt kills more dreams than failure does, buddy. It's, it's crazy. The number of people that don't even go for it. Like they know they should hire five or six more people and yet they don't, you know, they know they could go and win that big contract, but they don't even go for it. You know, it's like, but not even going for it factor. And 
uh, you know, I, I, I hate to generalise, but dang, you English live that all the bloody time. I mean, I, I know you sent all the crazies to Australia a couple hundred years back, but we, we crazies actually go for it a little bit faster. And maybe that's some of the reason why we crazy Aussies actually do what we do. Um, so if I could say two things, learn and grow. Uh, and the second is actually, I'm going to add a third, build your people. I build your people because they build your business, not you. Um, if you build your people, the, the, the quality and calibre of your people determines the quality and calibre of your business. If they're not out learning and growing, then don't expect your business to grow. Um, you can grow all you want, but you've got to keep growing your people. No, I think there's, there's three, you know, three fantastic learnings in there. I know um, there's definitely a few things I've taken away from the call today. So um, if nothing else, a personal thanks from me. I think there's going to be a few things I action from the call. Today. Yeah, look, buddy, I mean, this is the thing. A great business coach is not just a coach. They're a learner at the same time. You know, I'm always reading and learning and studying. So that's that's just by and by. I, I also have three different business coaches who work with me on different companies. So, you know, you keep learning. But I, I want to do one thing before. I read, uh, I was reading several of uh, your testimonials before um, this session, <laughs> some that are for you and Gary, right? Okay. And the interesting thing is, uh, and by the way, any of you watching this that have not chatted with these guys or sat down with them, send them an email or a text or, or a message or phone them right now and go sit with them, right? I'm reading your testimonials and the number of your clients, they, they, it seems like they have like this love-hate relationship with you guys because it's like, we love them, they get us great results, our business is growing, I'm working less hours. But then there's always someone in there that says, yeah, yeah, he's just too dang tough. He's, he pushes me so bloody hard all the time. So I do like that. I'm very happy that your clients think you're a tough coach because that's how results happen. So congrats on congrats on getting great results with your clients, but also congrats on them thinking you're tough sometimes. <laughs> well, I guess at least there's, there's a good thing in there somewhere, I'm sure. Brad, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. As ever, thanks for tuning in. If you have any questions, please reach out to the team. They've been more than happy to help you. And we hope to see you back here and listening again soon.